We have been going through the book of James. Um, if you don't know the book of James, um, James, he just punches you. That's what he does. And then, he just, then you have to decide, like, what do I do? I just got punched by this guy, right? So that's the whole book of James. Um, today, he's going to punch us, right? So it's James 5, verse 1. You'll see it. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Welcome to Edgewater. <laughs> Guess what we will be talking about today? Money. Clap and cheer for joy. <laughs> Scream like you won a beauty contest because we're talking about money. You might be sitting there thinking to yourself, not today. I finally got my neighbor to come with me. We were driving over and he's like, I don't go to church because they always talk about money. <laughs> ah, well, there's a reason. Talking about money is not a sexy message. But there's about 500 verses on faith, about 500 verses on grace. There are 2,000 verses in the Bible on money. So if you're going to teach this book, eventually, you're going to talk about money. And here's what James does a lot of. He is steeped in the Old Testament. He's a Jewish man who believes in his half-brother Jesus, that Jesus is the king. He is God in the flesh and entrusts his life to a new way of doing life. And he brings with him just all the wisdom that the Old Testament has. And he condenses it down into just Six verses, essentially, just condensed wisdom on wealth. And here's what he says, verse one. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He says this in real condensed form. He says, money isn't safe. Beware, people. Money isn't safe. So have you heard somebody say this, that money is the root of all evil? Right? It's one of the worst misquotes. Because it's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Right? Money's just neutral. It's not good or bad. It's neutral. It's a tool. Here, here's the way I liken it. Money is like nuclear radiation. Is nuclear radiation good or bad? Yes. Great answer. You guys are learning me. Yes. Right? Nuclear radiation is used in medicine all the time. 
Sometimes you drink this potion and it, or you get injected with a potion that has uh, or isotope in it that tells the doctor what's happening in your digestive system, what's happening in your heart system. Nuclear radiation is used to kill cancer very often. There's all these uses for it. Super good. Smoke detectors. Very often, high-dollar commercial smoke detectors use nuclear radiation because they're really, really dependable. So it's got good. But is nuclear radiation dangerous? Oh, my goodness. It will tear your body apart. So, so you've got to know how to use it. But it's just, it's neutral. Money's like that. So Jesus says this about money. He says, it's easier. So he's going to make a comparison. It's easier for a camel to crawl through the eye of a needle. How hard is that? Scale the one of one to 10. How hard is that? It's a million, right? That's just not happening. It's easier for a camel to crawl through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. So it's his warning Look out for this thing. Look out. Now, this is not a message of condemnation. I'm not going to get down on rich people or something. That's not what this message is, right? So if you drove your Tesla here, it's not like, oh, you're a bad person. And you're like, I do love Jesus. I just love Teslas too. No, it's not this message, right? So don't worry about that. But it's this. Money has a unique God-like power. So Jesus says this, it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says this, he says, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus could have chosen a bunch of things to say you can't serve both of them. You can't serve God and your reputation. You can't serve God and sex. You can't serve God and you name it. Your athletic ability You can't serve God and reputation. He could have used a ton of things. But he says, you can't serve God and money. Why? Because money never loses its power. Old or young, money sustains itself, right? Like athletic ability. At some point, you get over your athletic ability, right? Like the, the ducks aren't scouting me to be a linebacker. Even though I've got four years of eligibility left right? And I'm not 20 anymore. Even when I was 20, I didn't have it, but they're, they're not looking at 47-year-old men. Why? Because you just don't have it anymore. But guess what? Money never loses its allure. Even when you're young, my six-year-old Myron's already asking for the credit card. We'll be in a shop like, dad, come on, just buy it. I'm like, I don't have the money. Yeah, you have that card. Just pull out your card. Buddy, you're six. You shouldn't know about a credit card. And it doesn't matter how old you are, money never fades. So here's the way I put it in my own brain. Today, you can pray or you can pay. A lot of the things that ancient people, years and years, 2,000 years ago when James was written, a lot of the things that they would pray to God about, we just pull out our credit cards and pay for it. Food, health, success, you name it. We can just, you can pretty much buy any of those things that people in the ancient world would have to pray and trust God for. Now we just, oh, I can pay for that because that's the power that money has. So what James is going to say in these verses is this. Listen, this is the Surgeon General's warning on wealth. And he just lists them out. And that's all we're going to do. We're just going to list out his warnings. So warning number one is this. 
it has the seeds of greed in it. So if you look at verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten and your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion is evidence against you. You have so much that you can't even keep track of it. It's just rotting. So many garments, you can't wear them, so they're getting eaten by the moth. So much money that you don't even know it's there. It's just, it's rotting. It's rusting, if you would, because you got too much. Have you heard of Pablo Escobar? Man, what a fascinating guy that dude is. The money that man made is unbelievable. Every year, Pablo Escobar would lose $2.1 billion dollars to rot and to rats and to digging a hole, burying his money and forgetting where it was at. $2.1 billion. That's no big deal. It's $2.1 billion. He had so much one time, his daughter was cold. He burned $10 million in cash just to keep his daughter warm. That's insane. They say there are still piles of money buried all over Colombia. Like, no, we don't know where they're at, but there's piles of money all over the place. It's crazy. You and I, we're like happy if we put on jeans and find a 20. We're like, yes, thank you, Lord. Right? He like opens his fridge and is digging around the back there. There's like a million dollars. He just chucks it out. I don't want that. He's insane. Here's the crazy thing about Pablo Escobar. He grew up dirt poor. Poor that you and I in America can't even understand. That kind of dirt poor. And then he makes it to the Forbes top list seven years in a row. Now, you would think this guy would be like, dude, I have arrived. I don't need any more. I'm here. I'm cashing out. I'm going to go live the good life. But he couldn't do it. He had one more big deal. Had to get that much more. Had to figure out how to submarine into Miami. He had just, he couldn't stop. Why? Greed. Greed. So much greed that $2.1 billion is rotting. It doesn't even affect him. Crazy. Here's the problem with greed. No one in here is greedy. That's the problem with greed. There's always somebody who's got more than you and it's, hey, I'm not greedy. My neighbor's greedy. He should come to this message. Man, he's a greedy dude. Right? I'm five on Forbes' top list. I'm not greedy. Bill Gates, he's the top. He's greedy. There's always somebody who has more. So in 16 years of pastoral ministry, I've had every crazy sin in the world confessed to me. I have never had somebody say this to me. Matt, I got to meet with you. This thing's killing me. I've got to get this off my chest. I have to talk to somebody about this and then have a meeting with somebody and for them to say, I am greedy. Haven't had it yet. Unprovoked. When I provoke people, they've said it. But unprovoked. Never had it. It's crazy to me because greed is this insidious thing. We think it's always somebody else. And James says, look out. Money, it'll plant a seed of greed in you. Number two, it'll hurt your health. So he just says this, it's going to eat your flesh like fire. I've mentioned before all the diseases that we have in America, they're called first world diseases. Because we have these diseases because of the lifestyle we live. We live the lifestyle we live because of money. Diabetes, certain kinds of cancer, strokes, you just name it. There's all these diseases that we get uniquely because of our lifestyle, because of money. 
And so you can look at that that way, but I think there's another way. Because money does this to you. Money promises security, but it actually brings anxiety and all the harm of anxiety. Let me try to illustrate this. So I had a car once. It's the first car I ever bought. I bought it for $150. It was a Mustang II, 1974. The poorest excuse for an automobile ever made by Ford. Like, if you've seen them, you know what I'm talking about. You're just like, are you kidding? It was because of the oil embargo and gas prices shot up, and they were selling this Mach 1, right? The Mustang Mach 1. Great car, awesome car, but it got like a sixth of a tenth of a mile per gallon. They're like, that ain't selling anymore. Let's make a small, cheesy car. And that's what they did. And I bought one of them. And because of some crazy contraption they put on it to give it more gas mileage, it would vapor lock. For like two seconds, I'd be just like, whoa! <laughs> and then it would backfire. Bang! And people like jump into the ditches around me like, ah, it's coming, right? <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, he's worried. He's like, oh, it's, no, he's going to do it, right? In like a construction zone or in a school zone, like people walking their kids, bang! Kids are like fleeing. I'm like, this is so embarrassing. Even worse was it was primer black and a really bad primer black paint job. So if you rubbed up against the car, you were also primer black. <laughs> Girls dug that, man. They just lived on that. They're like, what happened to my jeans? You touched my car. I'm so sorry. I'm not driving in that thing again. Yes, I understand. Do you know what I never worried about? That car. Not one bit, man. I would leave the keys in it, begging someone to steal it. Please, man. Give me an excuse to get something else. I didn't park... 27 spaces away from Fred Meyer because I was worried about a door ding. Uh-uh. I parked front and center. No one would park next to me. They're like, not that thing. Right? Never worried about it. Right? Never worried about it getting keyed. If it did get keyed, I wouldn't even know it. Right? I'm like, dude, I'm sorry about the guy that keyed it. He's got black stuff all over him now. <laughs> Poor dude. <laughs> right? But you get a new car, guess what happens? Ooh. I don't want a door ding in that. I'm parking way out here. Worried. In college, I rented out this basement, myself and two other guys. And we knew the weather because if it rained, all that rain would end up in our basement. We had like two inches in the bottom of that, in our house. And so the carpets would just be soaked, just nasty. You know what I never worried about? The carpets in, my, in that basement. But then a couple years ago, I put in some engineered hardwood floor in my house and it said this, don't get this wet. I'm like, that's kind of not a good floor. So now I have company over. Guess what I have in my back pocket a lot of times? A towel, because I'm worried about my floor, right? So we think, man, I'm going to get security from this stuff, and all it actually leads to is more anxiety. Now, I'm not telling you what not to do and what to get. Just know, James is being really honest about this. When you had your old Ford Mustang too, Matt, you could care less. Now you care. So know that. Look out. It can hurt your health. Number three, it pretends to protect you. So it says you have laid up treasure in the last days. You got your savings account, you got your Roth IRAs, you got all this stuff that you're saving up. Now, this is perspective. All I'm giving you is perspective, right? It is good to plan, it's good to save, it's good to be thoughtful, it's good to do all that kind of stuff. That is healthy. However... 
In America, we've taken this thing to a whole new level now where it's all about retirement. And I think that's silly. I'm not focused on retiring. I'm focused on living my life. And there's this weird preoccupation with it now. So I can remember as a 20-year-old at Oregon State University, there was these classes that you had to take. It was called the Bachelor Corps. And one of the classes was saving up for retirement. And I remember as a 20-year-old, I sat in that class and I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to live on this. You're telling me as a 20-year-old who's excited about life and accomplishing something, living for something bigger than myself, you're telling me as a 20-year-old that I should be consumed with this thing? That's just not healthy. I'm not doing that. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saving and not planning. I'm just not letting it consume me because it's crazy now, right? My son Myron's already getting stuff in the mail. Myron, you're six. Where's your Roth IRA, bro? You should have been putting money into that when you were three. Man, it's already too late. But call me and I will help you. Like, oh, I know what that's all about. Like, it's crazy to me. If you really think about the world today and what's happening, it's not how much money you have in the bank. So if you're paying attention, you know this. For the last 10 years in America, longevity has been dropping down. It used to be like seven, eight years old. Every year we're going lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. We're the only industrialized nation that's doing that. Now, what's happening to us? Listen, lifespan's not decreasing because someone doesn't have enough money in their Roth IRA. That's not one of the things that they're putting out. The things that they're saying right now that's killing Americans faster and causing our lifespan to decrease, depression. We're going through the roof in depression. With depression is tied in drug abuse. So people are now abusing drugs and causing problems. But here's the big one, loneliness. People are lonely. That has nothing to do with your Roth IRA. I think colleges should stop teaching the retirement class and start teaching the community class. Like, hey, if you're going to live a long, productive life, you have to have friends and you have to have community or else you're doomed. So the Blue Zone Projects, which studies how long people live, they say being lonely is equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day to your health. That's what's killing you. So be careful, man. We can think, man, money's going to protect me. It's going to give me a long, great life. No, it's not. Now, it can be part of the recipe, no doubt, but don't put all your trust in that thing. Be careful of that one. So it's a warning. And then he just kind of goes on this, this rant of, when it comes to money, more than anything else, it will shape your soul. It has the capability to change you. So look at this. Number one, capability to change you. It can make you stingy. So he says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You're not generous. You're not paying people what they're worth. You're stingy. We have this idea in our head that When we make more money, we will be more generous. Is that true or false? False. Here's the statistic I give. What is the poorest state in America? Oregon, someone says. Not exactly, but close. It's Mississippi. 
What is the most generous state in America? Mississippi. It's Mississippi. Why? Because they understand it. Right? They're not so far away from what it means to pay bills and that kind of stuff that they've forgotten about the difficulty that poor can be. And so because of that, because it's right in front of them, they're more generous. So you've got to be careful. Look out. This thing will make you stingy. Instead of paying people what they're worth, giving them the money that they need to supply what they need, we start holding part of it back. And here's how sometimes we can do that as believers. We have a project at our house, and so we bring in a bid, and we make an agreement, and the contractor, whoever it is, comes in, they do the work, and then right when they're about done, you're saying, oh, since you're here with all your equipment, could you do this as well? No big deal, right? Just, just throw this in. Even though the whole time you knew you were going to do that. Even the whole time I knew I was going to do that to them. That's wrong. It's wrong. You're, you're defrauding them. It's pay people what they're worth. Be generous. The Bible puts it like this. A workman is worthy of his wage. And so we should say, well, then I should pay the wage that that person is worthy of. We should be the most generous people. So I try not to toot my own horn, but I don't have an illustration of this except for my own life. Uh, A number of years ago, about 14 years ago, I bought a Volkswagen bus, uh, bought it out of a field in Williams. Uh, I think they grow them out there. I don't know how it works. Pot and Volkswagen just grow in Williams. Like, wow, great. So this one happened to have a uh, stove inside of it, a wood stove, and it had a hole through the side with a stove going out, pipe out of it. And I just not exactly the Volkswagen that I want to drive. So I needed some body work done on it. So this guy had an ad in the Daily Courier back then. I called him. We set up a deal, 2,400 bucks, he'll do the work. Great. Calls me a couple weeks later. It's going to be more. It's going to be three grand. No problem. I go out there because he's got this thing he wants to ask me about the Volkswagen. So I drive it. It lives out in Selma. Go out there. I, I get there and he's working. He's 65. His wife is 64 or so. He's working on my Volkswagen and she is out in this massive field that has grass about three feet tall and she's mowing it with a push mower. You know, you just hear it like hitting the ka 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 ka. Just a dust storm around her. She's coughing. I'm like, whoa. So I said to the guy, hey, how do you get your wife to do that? Could you talk? Have her talk to my wife, please? I'm so kidding. So I kind of see that. It just happens that my father-in-law had given me a riding lawnmower. I had one already. He'd give me another one. It was less than a year old. Had a couple things to fix on it. Was practically brand new. So I made the decision right then and there. I'm going to give. I got two. One's going to rot. I don't want to rot. I want to give it to this, this lady. So day comes. He finishes the Volkswagen. I had a trailer. Loaded up the riding lawnmower on the trailer. Took it out there. And when I got there, the guy came out. Because this is what he's used to. And he just said, hey, no, 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 no. We're not working any deals. Bro, I got to have three grand in cash. I got to have it. So I just pulled out three again, had it in cash. I gave it to him. I said, that's for you. The lawnmower is for your wife. He's like, why? I said, because God has been so generous to me. I want to be generous with you. His wife just started bawling, just crying. Are you kidding me? No one's ever done that for us. See, generosity opens the door for Jesus. Being stingy opens the door for Satan. You and I get a choice as believers. What door do we want to open? What James would say is beware, beware. Because when you get wealthy, something happens to you and you see people differently. 
Not as humans, but almost as people to serve your interests and make you something or make something great of you. Be careful of that. Makes you stingy. Number two, he says, the capability to change you makes you self-indulgent. So he goes on, verse five, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. It takes money to be self-indulgent. If you are a day worker and you are working that day to get paid that evening to buy food for your family, that's incredible motivation. If you don't have that, then what can happen is you can just be self-indulgent. Like here's what we know today in America. If you go to work for eight hours, even if you don't do anything for that company, guess what that company still has to do? Pay you, right? There are laws for that. So you can go to work and just be self-indulgent. I'll just take a little time on Facebook, a little time on YouTube, a little time on Craigslist, doing nothing that helps the company, just indulging your own self. Because you know this, I'll still go home to a warm house and food on the table. And so it gives us the leniency today to just indulge ourselves. And we have, as a society, lost these brilliant things of self-denial and self-sacrifice and delayed gratification, and we've become an indulgent society. It's what we are. So we indulge ourselves in all these little ways, and it shapes who we become, right? I don't want to do anything difficult. I don't want to do anything uncomfortable. Because why? Because your life has been lived indulging the self, and it's dangerous. It starts to affect you. So families now... We've indulged ourselves with these little devices and they've they've captured part of our soul. So now you go sit down at a dinner table, which used to be the center of discipleship and conversation. How are you doing? And how was your day? And how was school? And what's the dinner table now? Silent indulgence. And now you don't know your kids. And it's sad to me. It's just this lifestyle that begins to look that way. And it happens across the board. People that start indulging in pornography, it just shapes them and it changes them. They become something like, I wish I wasn't this. Well, it happened by self-indulgence. And we only live in the kind of world that allows you to do that. Like it makes excuses for you to do that. And so James is warning, look out for this. It will exhaust you. The energy that you could be using for purpose and accomplishment and and doing something for the kingdom is now exhausted on all this self-indulgence and there's nothing left over. Be careful of that. It's a warning. Wealth does that. And then lastly, it numbs your hearts to the needs of others. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. We have these hearts that have, they're just fat. They're fat hearts. And the Bible talks about a circumcised heart can feel and, can, and, is, and is, uh, has empathy, but a fat heart doesn't. So the great philosopher... Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, he said something and I wrote it down 10 years ago. He said, here's what social media is doing. It's making it so that a dying squirrel in your front yard is more important than dead people in Africa. I thought, wow, that's true. Because we have fat hearts now. So it's way more important. This is in my front yard. Yeah, but... A thousand people just died from Ebola in Africa. Really? You don't care about that? No, the dead squirrel in my front yard. Our hearts become fattened 
They don't feel anymore. They don't sense what people are going through. It's, it's sad to me. And the more money you make, what happens is the further you get away from how people live their lives. So if you have money, then it's like a hundred bucks. What's a hundred bucks, man? Because you got money. But a hundred bucks to a certain family is the difference between them making it this month and failing. It's the difference between them getting new tires on the front of their car and not being able to make it to work. That's the difference a hundred bucks makes. But we get so far away from that, we don't even understand it. And our hearts become numb to the way people are. And so this reminded me of an interview that I read of a hero of mine. His name is Brother Andrew. Anyone here know who Brother Andrew is? So when I was a little kid, I think I was nine years old, someone gave me one of those little books that are like for kids talking about heroes of the faith. And it was about Brother Andrew. And so Brother Andrew, what he did was he would smuggle Bibles into the USSR behind the Iron Curtain. He lives in Europe and he would load up all these Bibles in the back of his 1957 Volkswagen Bug. You talk about great faith. Try smuggling Bibles in a Volkswagen Bug. I mean, that's great faith. So he would put them all in there and he would smuggle them behind. If he gets busted for this, he's in the gulag for the rest of his life. Just a brilliant dude. So he goes, has this interview at Saddleback Church. And he, or he had this award at the Saddleback Church, gives an interview about it. Now, I like Rick Warren. I like Saddleback. This is just his perspective on it. European looking at America. So this is what he says. Quote, I have been at Rick Warren's church. They gave me a special award for being old and still following Jesus. <laughs> Can you think of that? So I got up there for the big thank you. And I said something like, you Americans are crazy. How can you reward an old man for still following Jesus? All he wants to do is go to heaven and make it. You don't have to reward him in the world. Instead of rewarding an old man who still follows Christ, you should punish all the rich people in your church who spend all their money on bigger boats and bigger this and that and the other. That should be the system. But don't reward an old man who is near eternity because he still follows Jesus. It's the calling of us all. What's your problem? And then he added, well, frankly, they've never invited me back. <laughs> I love that. You got to be careful because we can start getting fat hearts and start getting stingy minds and start being so surrounded by wealth that, that we forget about really the real calling of being a believer and what that kind of life looks like. Sacrifice and denial. And we, we don't even experience those things anymore because we're so far from it. And then James gives one more thing. He says this, verse six, money bends morals. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person and he does not resist you. Money can bend morals. It's been said about our system that a jury has 12 people chosen to decide who has a better lawyer. And that's probably kind of true. And a lot of times money can just buy you out of whatever problem you got into. Like this verse reminds me of every cowboy movie made a generation ago, right? The rich land baron who wants the poor little farmers one farm and hires the thugs and I mean, it's every cowboy movie. 
There's an abuse of money. And sometimes it actually happens within systems of our country. So we have these things called super PACs, and I don't know if they're good or bad, but, but I watched this documentary on Monsanto. You guys know who Monsanto is? Right? They have the market cornered on like corn and soybean and wheat. Huge. And you can't, they want to get a cut every time. So a farmer can't grow up some corn, keep 10% back to, to plant the next year. It's illegal to do. Monsanto has them trademarked. So there's this documentary on this farmer. He lived next to railroad tracks that they would ship a lot of their stuff on. So the wind would blow some of the corn and some of the wheat into his field and it would come up with Monsanto. So he gets sued by them for illegally growing Monsanto stuff. And he wants nothing to do with Monsanto stuff. In fact, he doesn't want it. He wants it gone. He doesn't like it. He thinks it's bad. And so he starts to fight this. And the documentary is about him fighting. And he just says, I had to give up after I spent a hundred grand because I couldn't keep fighting them. They'd come with a new lawsuit. They'd come with a new thing. It was every single month. I had to just start, I, had to, I gave up and just signed off, said whatever. That broke my heart. I'm like, why don't we make laws that fix that kind of thing? That's, that's a bummer. And then it said this, Monsanto donates $30.8 million to politicians. Oh, that's why there's no laws. We got to realize the system we live in, sometimes it is rigged. Sometimes we have to say, that's wrong. That kind of system is wrong. It should not happen. But money, man, it has this power to actually bend the morals of people. Right? So this is James. If you keep reading, James just switches gears. He doesn't try to do anything with this. doesn't try to apply it. doesn't try to conclude. He just says, then the next subject is, if you're poor, be patient. <laughs> this is a switch of directions. So how do you conclude? Don't worry, we're not going to conclude by taking another offering. Although I did give it serious thought. That would be awesome, man. <laughs> Shakedown, baby. <sighs> the idea that I think each of us has to address in our own heart is this. Does God have the right to talk about my wallet? The pushback, right, on churches, they talk about money. Well, 2,000 times in the Bible, God is saying, I have the right to talk about your wallet. More than heaven, more than God talks about hell, more than the Bible talks about grace, more than the Bible talks about forgiveness, it talks about money. So God seems to think, I have the right to talk about your wallet. And here's why. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's why the Bible talks about money. Because money, your wallet, is the best indication of where your heart is. Because all money is, it's this medium that we exchange for something that we value. That's all money is. I have this stuff I want that more, so I'll take this stuff because I want that, I value that more. It's the measure of what you value. So if you're a person that values food and flavors, then you're going to take a lot of your treasure and give it for food because it, it's something you value. If you value experiences, then you're going to take a lot of your money and you're going to transfer it for trains and planes and automobiles, right? I'm going to go do stuff. I want to, if you value 
pleasure. And that will be written into the lines of your Visa card. If you value experiences, then you're, it's going to be some kind of trip or whatever it is. You're, right? You can very quickly determine where your heart is by looking at what you spend your money on. And here's the danger. Money promises what it can never purchase. It makes us promise to you and me, to our heart. It says this, if you could have that, if you could acquire this, if you could have this experience, if you could have this pleasure, it would be life. It promises you life, but it never delivers. That's why Jesus says, beware of the deceitfulness of riches. It says to you and me, if you could accomplish this, if you could acquire that, if you'd experience that, if you could enjoy that, it would be life, but it can never give it to you. It can't. So here's another text that actually concludes this. It's 1 Timothy 6. And just listen to what it says. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But... If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. If you have pants on and a taco in your hand, be happy. That's what the Bible just said. Pants and a taco, dude, you made it. Time out, Matt. I've worked hard. Come on, you gotta be kidding me. I deserve more than that. I want the good life, okay? Let's see what the Bible says the good life is. Skip down to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age. Now, I probably got to take a time out right there. Because some of you are saying, that's not me, man. I'm not rich. Really? Let's take a little test. So let's take a ancient person's view of us today. So someone like in James Day, 2,000 years ago. What would they think about us? Right? So let's see. Let's try this. So anyone here, are you able to go home where you have like a week's supply of food already in that home ready for you to consume? Anyone with that? Raise your hand. You're you're, You're a king. You don't have to go out and hunt that food. You don't have to go catch that food. You have to grow that food. It's just in your home. I mean, it's crazy. We go to places that sells food on a pallet. That's insane. An ancient person is like, oh, what is this place? Is this heaven? No, it's Costco, bro. No big deal. <laughs> right? That's what they say. Seriously. Okay, Anybody. Anybody in here, are you able to go to your home and and there there's a box and on this box are these living pictures of all kinds of unimaginable things you can't even describe and you have access to them 24-7. Anyone have that kind of a box in your house? Okay, that is better than Rome's Colosseum. What you can see on that is better than they ever saw in Rome. They would import lions like and starve them and they'd be scurvy looking things. We can see the lion in its real territory anytime we want. It's unimaginable. Anybody? Anybody have a home that's always 72 degrees? 
Like winter, summer, fall, spring, like doesn't matter. It's always 72 degrees. A king would be like, what? Give me one of those. Half my kingdom for that. And we're like, we're well, just take it for granted. Anybody have a chariot with 125 horses? Right? Volkswagen bug, n- no. Anything above a Volkswagen, right? Is it climate controlled too? Like, are you kidding? A climate controlled chariot? Yes. Listen, we are the 1%. We live like no other people in the history of the world has lived. We're rich, okay? So hopefully I've convinced you of that. Look what he says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, but to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, money promises you, if you had this, it would be life, but it lies to you. The Bible says, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, because that's truly life. If you're over 12, you know that's true. You know it's true. That life is those things, right? Life is not getting more, acquiring more. It's way deeper, way better than a trip to Costco to buy something, right? Samples are great there. You meet half of Grant's Pass in line. It's really cool, right? The Gouda cheese is good, but it's not the good life. The good life is doing exactly what the Bible says. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. That's life. Jesus would put it like this, John 17, three. He says, life is to know me and my father. That's real life. So beware of the deceitfulness of riches. It promises you something it can never pay for. That's James. Money is dangerous. It's like nuclear radiation. But if you know this about nuclear radiation, a nuclear power plant has this thing that makes sure that the radiation is helpful, not harmful. It's called a control rod. Have you heard of those? A control rod, they can kind of move it up and down into that place where the the nuclear reaction is happening and it can absorb some of the energy to keep it where it's supposed to be. It's a control rod. I think as believers, everybody needs a control rod on their finances. You need something that makes sure, I don't want to go down James chapter five because I could see that happening to me. So what's the control rod that's going to keep me in the right mind frame? Here's mine. I've done it since I was a little kid. My mom told me I should do it. I started doing it as a little kid and I've never stopped. I tithe. Now we can have the discussion about is tithe for today or is tithe not for today? We can go back and forth on that. I am a grace guy. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is sufficient, period. I tithe for me, for Matt Heverly, for the control rod of my own heart 
to say, look out, I don't want this thing to get into my soul. I tithe for me. That's why I tithe. I write out that check once a month and I put it in the offering basket and it's the antidote. It's that thing right there is not, is not life. Don't let it take hold of me. Protect me from it. That's not life. Life is to do good, to be generous, to share. Life is to know you and the Father. That's life. And every month, it's this control rod. Protect me. And I don't give to get back. I'm not, well, I'm sowing in, I'm gonna receive back a hundredfold. No way. Tithing is not a way that you beat the God pinata so he drops the goods to you. It's ridiculous. I'm not trying to get a blessing from God. I'm trying to be a blessing. Because when I am a blessing, I am blessed. These go hand in hand. It's my control rod. You gotta figure out what that means for you. Right? 10%, gross, net. I don't care about that. It's your condition of your heart. God, control this thing because I know where it can go. I know where it can go. So help me. Protect me. And so for me, it's just the tithe. And we get to come to the table and the table is a place that sometimes you gotta lay down an idol. God, this thing's got me. Help me. This thing's got me. Protect me. And so Jesus today, You are good. And every good and perfect gift comes from you. Help us to be a people that know that life and that goodness and the gifts that we enjoy, you're the source. And shape our hearts according to that, we pray. We ask this in your name. Amen.